Today, I want to talk to you about the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life. My 11-year-old made this slide for me, too, which is pretty cool. And I was talking to my daughter about this, like, hey, I'm trying to talk about back in the day, you know, the original Christians versus today's Christianity. And what is the normal Christian life meant to look like? I remember in college when I uh, first encountered Jesus for the first time, and I started reading this thing. Have you all read this thing? Started reading this Bible, and I was around a lot of Christians at the time, and I will tell you, I could see a difference between this and the Christians I was around. And I didn't understand. It was confusing to me. Because as I read this, it seemed really extreme. And I started feeling very extreme versus what I was seeing around me. But then you start realizing, oh, maybe what I'm seeing around me isn't normal. Maybe this is normal. And we live in the danger of starting to believe that a watered-down version of Jesus is normal but I want to say it's not normal. This is normal. And I want to challenge us to reframe what we think normal is. Because our culture goes all, I mean, depending on what month it is, you will defi- if you start defining your Christianity by culture and by American Christianity, whatever you want to label these things, good luck. That is a moving target. But when you base your life on this and say, you know what, Jesus, you're the norm. I'm going to stick to this straight and narrow path, uh, and I'm not going to believe anything else. I'm going to stay true to what is normal. Even the title, The Normal Christian Life, kind of, you know, there's a book uh, written a long time ago by Watchman with that title. You don't even need to read the book to know that it's going to be convicting. You're like, oh, I don't want to read what the normal Christian life is supposed to look like. Because, you know, we judge, we admit it with me. We, we judge each other a bit. We sort of measure each other up like, oh, yeah, they're like average. Oh, they're hardcore Christian. Like, ah, they're, you know, dab. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid to tell you, I'm afraid to tell myself that maybe the normal is the hardcore. Maybe the hardcore Christian is actually just the norm. And that's convicting for all of us, but... You know, as we go into this 40 days of growth, we go into Easter, we enter into this time. uh, God was bringing me back to one of my favorite scriptures in Romans chapter 12. And I would say that this is what it means to be a normal Christian. Romans 12 verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this starts by saying, first he says, I urge you. So you got to pay attention whenever the Bible says, I urge you. But he's saying, I urge you in view of God's mercy, So it starts with in view of God's mercy. I was curious how many of you, uh, when you're on a road trip, how many of you are the type 
when you're driving by a viewpoint, you actually pull over. Raise your hand. And how many of you are like me, and you like just keep driving because you're trying to get some? Okay, it's about more than half. We just keep going. I love. I'm trying to be more like you, who like will just pull over and take advantage of the moment that you have to take in a viewpoint. Um, but this scripture is saying, don't drive by this one. Uh, in view of God's mercy. And I don't know how you view God or what you think God is like, but when Jesus came, he really came and destroyed the way most people thought about God. They thought about God as a distant deity, a a distant authority figure, and Jesus came and said, let me tell you what God is like. Let me reveal what God is like. God is a loving father. You need to talk to him intimately. Call him Abba. Actually, he is waiting for you to turn to him, and he has mercy and compassion. He's full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's slow to anger. He's quick to love. He runs to you. You know, he tells the story of the prodigal son. When the son repents and turns to his father, the father doesn't stand back in a holy position. The father runs to his son and throws his arms around him and kisses him and, you know, Jesus reframes the way we should think about God and said, God is a God that is merciful and full of love and compassion. There's so many scriptures. One of my favorites, Psalm 34, 18, says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. Like, that's the kind of God we serve. He's actually, in our most broken and crushed moments, he's really near to us. He's not far away and hard to find. He is trying to get in there, trying to help, trying to be with you. He loves you. We love John 3.16 because it describes God's mercy that he's had on every person. And it says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. So even if you're not in a crushed and desperate moment, God has shown mercy. He has given his son and rescued us from being in condemnation, rescued us from going to hell, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and take my sins for me. He died for me. So every one of us gets to say, hey, in view of God's mercy, this is where we got to start. In view of God's mercy, in view of what Jesus has done for us, in view of who God is, in view of the fact that God is compassionate and loving and patient and kind, we have a response to make in view of that mercy. And the next Piece of the scripture says, in view of God's mercy, offer your body, which is so intent. How many times have you been asked to just make an offering of your body? It's a really intense call. Like, in view of God's love and compassion, offer your body. And it's, it's this call, you know, this reminds me every time of this guy. Uh, this is about 10, 12 years ago. Uh, up in San Luis Obispo, California, and we were running this baptism service. So all these, there's about 10 or 20 people lined up to get baptized, and I was, I was in charge of, like, doing the baptisms and, and sort of facilitating. And I was looking down this row of people that were going to get baptized, and, you know, everybody had swimming shorts on and T-shirts. And then, like, the 11th guy in the line had a full suit on. And it wasn't like a... It wasn't just the suit. He had like the, the exp- you know, shoes that look expensive. They're like, oh, those are expensive. And he had like a watch on. 
And I was, I was getting concerned because I'm like, does he know, like, he should change? And, like, all of that's going to get ruined by getting in this water. And as he, you know, people are getting baptized. And then I kind of snuck over to him. I was like, hey, man, do you want to change? There's a bathroom. We have towels, T-shirts. We'll give it to you, bro. Uh, and he's like, no, I, this is on purpose. And he's like, I want to give Jesus everything. And I was like, do you want to take your shoes off at least? No, that's going into your watch. No, that's going into, I was like, do you have your wallet in your pocket? Yeah, that's going in too. <laughs> so, and, you know, he grabbed the microphone for a minute and he just said, I'm getting baptized today. All of me is getting baptized today. Everything I have is getting baptized. And I think that is a great picture of what it means to offer your body. Listen to this, like offer your body This isn't a philosophical decision to follow Jesus. This is a lay down your life. That is the normal Christian position. Is not a, I know I love the t-shirts that say I've decided to follow Jesus because it's true. But it's not just I, I made a decision. Jesus, I believe you did that thing on the cross. No, this is a lay down your life. I'm gonna give it all. God, take it all under the water everything. So our bodies are what God's asking for. Not just our minds, but our bodies. God made us, Psalm 139 says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully. So say it with me. Say, God made me. So God made you for himself. You were designed by God, and God's asking for your body. He's like, give it to me. It's mine anyway. God dwells in you. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So when you give your heart to Jesus, it says that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. You, You become the home of God. God dwells in you. You are his temple. Did that really just say that? It said, you are not your own. (laughs) Americans, you're not your own. You're not in charge of your life anymore. You're not in charge of your body anymore. Your body actually belongs to him. You're not your own. Your hands don't belong to you anymore. Your ears don't belong. Your eyes don't belong to you. You are the dwelling place of God. And so what do our hands touch? What do we look at? What do we watch? What do we listen to? Where do our feet go? It belongs to him. The Bible's gnarly because it says you're a slave to, you know, you're a slave to righteousness now. Why do we dabble on the line and try to find gray areas with righteousness? The the Bible says you are, yeah, you're no longer a slave to sin, but now you're a slave to righteousness. You're a slave. You serve the master, a new master. You serve God. Your body belongs to him. So our bodies don't belong to people. Our bodies belong to God. We are dreaming and fighting to be a church that, you know, I saw an Instagram account. I'm not endorsing this Instagram account because I don't know anything about it, but I like their name. It's called Moral Revolution. And I thought that is, that is an awesome phrase. Because if we need anything right now in our culture, it is a moral revolution. 
And I, I dream that our church would be a revolution in morality and righteousness. But it starts from this position of saying, God, I don't, I'm not my own. I belong to you. And this next part of the scripture makes it worse and harder. Because then it says, as a living sacrifice. I looked up the word sacrifice. An act of slaughtering an animal as an offering to God. I don't know if we really share the gospel like that to people. (laughs) I think our gospel message might be a little soft. Come to Jesus. He loves you. He wants to slaughter you. (laughs) Like, it really is. We always joke around about our church because it's like open arms. All people come in. Die. Put your life on the altar. Go to the nations. Do anything he tells you to. But it is the normal Christian life. Be a living sacrifice. So we're going to illustrate this. Can I have my lovely volunteers, Hudson and Mike, are going to bring up. This is. <laughs> Ladies, he's taken already. He's engaged. He's engaged. So back in the day. Thank you. Yeah. Perfect. This is sturdy. Okay, great. So back in the day, they would have an altar where they would make a sacrifice. And you know the whole animal was going on the altar, not just part of it. The thing, you know, let's treat this as a modern altar today. I didn't know if Lifetime knew that this plastic table would be an altar. The thing, the thing about today's culture is that I think Christianity, in many ways, has become a partial offering where, you know, if we looked at the American church, you might say that this is about the extent to which we put our life on the altar. <laughs> and maybe it's not even your whole brain. It's just kind of half of it. <laughs> and... It's not the prettiest position, is it? Like, I want you to take this in. Like, this isn't, good. This isn't a good look for you. Do you agree I don't look good? So what we've done is we're like, yeah, Jesus, I, you know, I've decided to follow Jesus. But most of our life is, like, off the altar. My hands are over here. My wallet's back, way back here. And my feet, you know, and when we ask Jesus, what do you want me to do with my life? It's like, okay, I'll consider that. I'll consider putting that on the altar. But I think the position that we're called to be in is, biblically, now you know I was testing the sturdiness of this, is to have your entire life on the altar. Your body's on the altar. Your possessions are on the altar. Your mind is on the altar. And when you say, God, anything you want me to do, anywhere you want me to go, anything you want me to give, I'm already on the altar. I've already said yes. You had my yes before I even asked. Versus 
God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What you, okay, I'll consider it. It is a, I will consider it versus a, you already have my yes. And I just like soberly, this isn't like a cute illustration. I want to soberly ask you, are you on the altar? When you said yes to Jesus, is this what you said yes to? Because that's what the ask is. Jesus is asking for your whole life, your whole body, the whole thing. And I want us to be a church that gets on the altar. The slam dunk dream, the slam dunk dream. If you could say, God, anything you want me to do, anywhere you want me to go, whatever you want me to give, I'm in. My life is yours. It belongs to you already. Imagine asking God those questions from that position. You know, those of you who are dating, God, my life's on the like, is, is this who you have for me? God, what's my purpose? What do you want me to do with my life for you? God, how should I react to how my boss just talked to me? God, how should I react to how my neighbor just treated me? Like, I love asking the question, what would Jesus do? But I'll tell you, Jesus didn't start by asking the question from over here. He started with his life on the altar and said, Father, hey, could you maybe change it? I'm, I'm in, Father, whatever you want me to do. But, you know, this is tough. And I just want to say, this is the hard path to take. This is hard. But we're called to take the hard path. Uh, one of our staff, uh, I won't call them out by name, but it really inspired me because, you know, as, as our church entered into the light project, you know, we're building, we, we have some land that we're going to build our permanent facility on, and we started talking to the church about uh, bringing our offerings to contribute to what God's doing in our church. And uh, I was talking to somebody on our staff here, and they talked to me how they go through the process of an offering. And they said, the first thing I think about is I start with the biggest thing I have, my house. And I say, God, do you want my house? It's already yours anyway. Yes, no, okay. Next big, how about my car? You want that, God? And I just want you to hear that. <laughs> That, to me, represents that life, where it's not like working my way up from the smallest. It's like saying, God, it's all yours already. Like, do you want me to give it right now to this, or is it for, you know, do you want me to hold on to it for other purposes? But it's for your purposes, anything you want me to do with it. Like, what a great place to live. I remember, and I'm so glad I got around early in my Christianity in college. I was around a few people that lived that way, life on the altar. So I was like, that's, that's what I knew. So I remember my first time making an offering like that. I was in a, we were going to go down to Mexico on a Mexico little trip to go serve some poor, uh, some of the poor folks in Mexico in a really uh, impoverished area. And we were in a prayer meeting and uh, one of my friends was leading us in prayer and just said, hey, let's, why don't we just ask God, God, do you want us to bring any of our possessions and anything we have? And to give it to the poor, and, and uh, I had like nothing, but I did have a little cool car, little red car, 
It wasn't cool, actually. But it drove. It functioned. And, uh, yeah, God, God just put that in my mind, and I was like, is that weird to, like, bring a car to Mexico? I don't know if that's even legal, but can I bring my car? Okay. And, and that was my first time, like, driving down to Mexico and just dropping it off, and some pastor down in Mexico now has my car, a uh, young pastor that was trying to plant a church down there with his family. And it was such a, a great time of worship for me uh, and establishing to God, like, God, this really is what I'm going to build my life on. Like, everything I have is yours. Everything is yours already. And so I, I really pray that every one of us could say, like Galatians 2.20 says, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I want to ask again, hey, have you been crucified with Christ? It's a hard message. But have you, have you taken up your cross and, and, and died to yourself to live for Jesus? And then the scripture says next, it says, this is your true and proper worship. So did you know that a life on the altar is the most true and the most proper form of worship? Singing is good. Lifting our hands is good. It's biblical. It's awesome. We're going to do it every day of our lives. But true and proper worship is a life that's on the altar. If you want to sing the prettiest, most beautiful song to God, it's this. You know? Obedience, everything is yours. That speaks to the heart of God more than anything. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, then he said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Anyway, I could read 20 more scriptures over and over. Every single call that Jesus gives to us is, yeah, follow me. I love you. I got a plan for you, man, but you need to die. You need to get on the altar. Give me your life. Come follow me. Be my disciple. Don't come in halfway. Isn't it funny how, have you ever said about somebody, I don't mean to be harsh with this. I think it's kind of funny when I say it's, have you ever said like, hey, is he a Christian? And we're like, yeah, he's kind of a Christian. <laughs> have you ever made the kind of Christian comment? <laughs> and we're just trying to say, I don't know his heart. <laughs> but that's a terrible statement, right? <laughs> He's sort of a Christian, can't really figure it out. Man, don't be sort of a Christian. I don't even think it exists. Let's be Christians. Let's be disciples. Let's get on the altar. And then in Romans 12, it it calls us, do not conform to the pattern of this world. How many of you agree with me that the pattern of the world is definitely different than the pattern of Jesus? I mean, it is different. And I, I think we should become proud of the fact that, hey, I am different. I have a different spirit on me. I live differently than the world does. But the pattern of the world is different than the pattern of Jesus. The culture of the world is different than Jesus' culture. And so we got to really make Jesus our hero. Uh, I, how many of you have had, like, posters up on your wall when you were a kid? Anybody? I, my, mine was full of basketball players, you know. I had the Michael Jordan posters everywhere. Um, and, you know, I think it's fun to have sports heroes. I think that's fun. 
I think it's fun to get sports trophies. I really think the church should have more trophies, though, for, like, righteousness. Like, if you had, like, a big trophy on your wall, you're like, I was the most righteous. No? Okay. That was a joke. But wouldn't it be great if we celebrated our kids for kingdom stuff even more than for sports? Wouldn't it be great if the heroes that were on your wall one day, I am going to have, I don't have it yet, but I am going to have a wall of Christian heroes on my wall. It's coming. One of my heroes, I've told this story too many times, so I'm sorry if you've heard it again, but one of my heroes is John Wimber. The reason I, I fell in love with John Wimber, I don't know him, but the reason he inspires me so much, he, he helped really launch and, and uh, grow a church movement called the Vineyard Church Movement. A lot of our worship today came out of that movement. Uh, they planted, you know, over a thousand churches globally, like just an amazing move of God. But if you, if you read the book that his wife wrote about him, the, the book is called The Way It Was. And she, you know, John's not alive anymore. And she wrote about the early days of their, their Christian life. And John didn't come to Jesus till he was older. He had a music career. He wrote music. He was a composer. He was a saxophone player. He played with the Righteous Brothers. You've heard of them. And when he became a Christian, he started feeling that God might be calling him to lay down his music career. And he wrestled with that. But then the, the story is told by his wife that one day, in total silence, John grabbed their pickup truck and put every record they owned, all his instruments, the music he had written, he put it all on the back of his pickup truck, and he drove to the dump and pushed it out the back of the truck. And in that moment, such a difficult, and she described it as the saddest day of their life, but also the most exciting day of their life. Because they didn't have an answer for their finances. They didn't have an answer for career. They didn't have any answers. All they knew is Jesus all, the only Christianity I know is this one, and you asked me to, to go put the stuff in the dump. So he laid down his career, and as a result, as a result, what happened? An entire move of God, a global move of God took place from somebody that was willing to live a life that was on, on the altar. In John 12, 24, it says, Truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. If you love you, if we cling on to these things, if John would have clinged on to his music career and his security, he would have lost it anyway, as we all will. But anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. When this seed died, when John Wimber died for Jesus, it produced, it didn't remain a, a single seed, it produced many seeds. And we're called to live the same way. I love it that we, we care about our city. Uh, we, we all agree together, gosh, we want Easter weekend to be full of people that need Jesus. And you know what? Invitations are great. We should be inviting people. We should be handing people flyers, texting people, calling people. But even better is get your life on the altar. Because when you lay your life on the altar, 
not only will your family experience revival in your life experience revival, but your neighborhood will experience revival. Our city will experience revival when we get on the altar. This is the strategic answer for the church to explode, for more and more people to come to Jesus. It is a, we need to die to ourselves and live for Jesus. Call. So it says, don't, don't conform to the pattern of the world. I just want to ask you, who are your heroes? Do you have, do you have, do you have Christian heroes in your life? I'll tell you, we, we have heroes amongst us. Uh, the more you get to know some people sitting next to you, we're raising up heroes. You know, you hear about these guys like Matt, uh, Matt and Maddie Kirk who lay down everything here to go start All People's Church in Indonesia. Or I was even, we were at a wedding yesterday with Audrey Owen and Jake uh, who are in our church. You don't need to know them. It's okay. I just want to say, Christians are normal people who have chosen to lay down everything to do anything Jesus wants them to. Make those your heroes. Make those the people that you point your kids to and say, we want to be like them. We want to be like those people right there. Yeah, Michael Jordan's cool too. But hey, we want to, we want to actually be like this. We want to be people that lay down everything and get on the altar. All right, lastly, the scripture gives us the key. It tells us how to be transformed. How do I go from here to here? It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You actually need to change the way you think about things. You actually need to change your whole framework for how you think about your life. One of the reasons we're doing 40 days of growth is uh, studies have actually shown that if you want to form a new habit in your life, some some studies say that it takes at least four weeks. Some say at least nine weeks. We're going with six weeks right in the middle, right in the sweet spot. But we're going to do six weeks together as a church because this isn't something we just want to hear once and then move on to the next topic. We actually want to establish a culture in our church together. So we're going to go through 40 days of growth and engaging together as a church community. And what we're going to focus on together is actually we're going to walk through this book together called The Five Ds, which Pastor Robert wrote. We're going to give this to every person in the church so you'll have this for free. But what we're going to do is walk through this together because we want to follow the model of Jesus Christ and how he brought life transformation to his disciples and to the world. So we want to all jump in on this together. We want to renew our minds to the biblical way of seeing life transformation for ourselves and for our friends and family and neighbor and city. So I want to invite you really in, and I know this is kind of strange to have a part of the the sermon right now, but I want to say we want to invite you to jump full in with us on this 40 days. It's starting April 11th, which is about a week after Easter. And what's going to happen is every one of our life groups, if you're already in a life group, your life group is going to do this for six weeks together. You're going to watch a video at the beginning of life group, kind of taking us into uh, the topic of that week. We're going to read some of this out loud together. We're going to discuss it, pray it, and have a call to action every week in response. And so all of our life groups will be going through this together. 
And we would estimate maybe 50% of our church is in life groups right now. What I mean is 50% of people that are here on the weekends are already part of a life group. But even if you're not part of a life group yet, because we hope you will be one day, but even if you're not to yet, we would like you to jump in with what we're going to call a growth group, which will just meet for six weeks. And these growth groups will be doing the same curriculum together. And we're looking for uh, people that would, might want to even launch some growth groups during this time, where you might gather some of your friends, people you know, to do this for six weeks together. Uh, so if you're not already in a life group, I have a question for you. Hey, would you be willing to jump into a group for six weeks? Join a growth group for six weeks. And actually, if you are willing, we're going to do something. Pull out your phones with me, everybody. Let's all do it together real quick. Pull out your phone. And if you would be willing to jump in for a six-week growth group or might be willing to lead a growth group, we'd love you to text JOIN40 DAYS uh, to this number, 94,000. And we would just love to see 100% of our church involved in this 40 days of growth. So if you send that text to join 40 days, you'll receive a, a link sent back to you. And you can just throw in your name and say, hey, yeah, I'd like to jump in on a growth group. And we will get you connected to a growth group. Or if you're interested in leading one, we'll talk to you about that and follow up with you as well. So please jump into this 40 days with us. We don't want it to just be a, a program that we go to. We actually want to go through a season of renewing our minds to how Jesus transformed lives and really engage together as a church community. And we want to say, hey, maybe, maybe you've taken a step back during this COVID time and, and say, hey, maybe, times, maybe it's time to jump in. Maybe it's time to re-engage and to go deeper with your church family. We're going to have online groups and offline groups. So let's, let's all jump in together. Amen? Okay. Awesome. Let me just end by reading that scripture one more time. Romans 12.1, if the band could come up. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Can we all stand up together?